trying to think of a different way to intro this thing and that's all i had i'm sorry folks welcome to cranked and ranked uh i'm steven aka old head with me as always is mr eddie sparks yo and we are on to the second part of our two-part allison chains album ranking today it's going to be number four through number one we did nine albums total because we included both EPs and the MTV Unplugged album in our rankings. And if you're curious about the first half, this is the wrong episode to be listening to, you complete moron. Um, (laughs) Whoa, harsh. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's why it says part two and not part one. That's, That's not directed to any of our regular listeners because they're all very sharp. Um, but yes, part two of, uh, of Alice in Chains. Um, so yeah, it's, it, this is probably going to be uh, pretty much a love fest yeah. for yeah. the majority of the episode, um, probably for all of it. Um, do you have anything to say before we jump into it? Uh, I the, the gaps between how much I love all of my placings here are extremely slim. Like, it could change any day of the week, any hour of the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. My like, number, my number two and three, especially are, are ones that swap places quite a bit. Oh, you see my, my top, my top two, you know, two and one <laughs> are, you know, if it, if it wasn't for the fact that it, I could easily listen to them as a double album and not be bothered by it. Like, Oh, they're just so fucking good. These albums, man, they, they rule. Yeah, all right. Then indeed they do. So uh, let's let's not beat around the bush. Let's get right into it. Why don't you start it off with your number four Alice in Chains release? Cool. Uh, so for my number four, uh, I'm not going to camp out too long on this one because it's uh, technically a live album and it's got all of the songs except for one, which is Killer Is Me. I've gone for Unplugged. Okay. Um. I love this one. I especially love watching it. I, I prefer watching it to just listening to it. Yeah, but I, agree I felt with that. I I felt as though I'd be doing a disservice to this particular unplugged show by not including it because you know the the Nirvana one to me was good, but this one here is is excellent. Oh, you prefer this one over the Nirvana one? Yeah, yeah. Oh. This is. I'm this the other way. I'm the other way around. I'd rather listen to the Nirvana one, but even that one was the last place in my Nirvana ranking. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's like I say. I'm not going to go into a track by track because it's all songs from other records. But to me, it's my favorite of the unplugged shows. Uh, and the fact that, at least to me, some of the heavy songs still work on acoustic instruments is a testament to how good of a songwriting team they really are. Because despite the fact that songs like Sludge Factory and Rooster are, are lacking distortion in them, in these particular renditions, in the context of an unplugged, I'm not bothered by that because I, I know what I'm getting into. So hearing these songs this way, 
it's a cool atmosphere as as like kind of a, a break away from the uh, more metalled up versions that you get on the LPs. Yeah. But to to me, you know, I would consider Unplugged even part of like a trilogy of their more stripped back acoustic stuff because we know they can do it anyway with um, Sap and Jar of Flies. So yeah. I, I, I feel like the... Um, I think the beauty of Alice in Chains is the fact that they could theoretically play with anyone. You know, they could play to a, a rock crowd or a metal crowd and and still go down well. At least now that that they've established themselves. You know, in the early days, people did tend to huck stuff at them right when they came out. But uh, as soon as Facelift came out, you know, everyone went out and bought it. So yeah, yeah. The the interesting thing about this uh, unplugged. From from a perspective of somebody like me, who I was um, a teenager at the time, and I watched all of the unplugged shows, this came out at a time where the idea of the unplugged series had lost steam. Like it wasn't as exciting of a thing. Like earlier on, when you had you had all sorts of bands doing it, and Nirvana was a big one, Pearl Jam. Um, you even had yeah. fucking LL Cool J did one. Yeah. Um, there. They they were all the things that you always tuned into and you were like, oh, I wonder what the next one's going to be. But it almost seemed like there was this big gap where they weren't doing them as much. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, by the way, here's Alice in Chains Unplugged. And it's like, oh, okay, they're doing this? Because 96, yeah. 96 was already getting into the territory where they were starting to do a lot of the reality type shit. Not a lot of them, but we're way deep into the real world and and stuff like that already. Yeah. And so I think... That might have something to do with my opinion of this um, in comparison to other unplugs is it seems like it's it was almost like late in the game that they did this. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I, I mean, I agree with you that it is interesting to hear. Like, I'll take any Alice in Chains. Like, I don't really, really care, um, you know, the, what, what they're doing with it because they're a great band. But I, as I said in my critique of this in the last episode, my problem with it is that overall this doesn't feel like Alice in Chains to me because Alice in Chains to me, how I was introduced to them and how my journey with that band up until they did this Unplugged was mostly that they were a very heavy uh, dissonant, is that the, the thing, I'm the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Uh, ki- kind of band. And this stripped it down, which is the point of the Unplugged series, but I think that it, it, it in, in hindsight, people look back on this and they're like, oh, it's, it's such a great performance. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's, when it comes to Alice in Chains, I'd rather hear them full on plugged in making the noise that I know that they were mostly known for. And so even as interesting as this is, it always feels like, man, I, I want to go listen to the real versions of these songs or I want to go find, you know, you know, they did that live album. that's like a collection of different recordings yeah. from different time periods or go listen to that just because I think that that's a way better representation. We didn't even include that live album, which we could have. Um, yeah. But because that's pretty cool, too. But but yeah, so it, this is great. It just it just feels like something's missing from it. Yeah, I, 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 like I say, I I totally get that, and you know I don't really have the uh, benefit of 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 being around, you know, when 
you know, a Lane was even alive. You oh know, he yeah, di- yeah. He, like he died when I was four, and you know, when I was four, I wasn't exactly aware of any music beyond the wheels on the bus. But you know, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just they did, it, they didn't have a they didn't have a kids bop house and chains for you back then. <laughs> Do they have kids bop over there in the UK? I think uh, I think. It may have come over in more recent times as Kids Bop, but I think we had. It might have been called Kids Bop, but we have like kind of a like, ki- like Kids Pop Party or something oh, okay. like that. It's we we do have a a version of it, but uh, yeah, it's certainly uh, Kids Bop is a name that I figured out <laughs> later on when it became a bit of a meme with yeah. the. Uh, you know, kids bop versions of of metal songs. Did you ever see any of those uh, Radio Disney versions yeah. of Cannibal yeah. Corpse songs? <laughs> They're so funny. Yeah, those are those are pretty funny. <laughs> Something inside me, <laughs> I'm killing you. <laughs> it's just that real. Like, it, it's in a major key and it's all clean guitars as well. Yeah, Radio Disney. Um, Angel of Death by Slayer. That's a hilarious one. Yeah. <laughs> he does I'm, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm like, how did we get here? Oh, because I mentioned Kids Bop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I kind of, with the exception of like the two most recent albums from them, for me, it's been a very retrospective journey, discovering, yeah. discovering the al- albums of Alice in Chains because really... Everything they did with Lane happened before I was born and the last like couple songs like died and get born again yeah came out you know in 99 when I was one so for for me I I suppose what I'm getting at is that it it doesn't necessarily bother me the context of the unplugged I just think it's a cool thing to have Yeah no especially in hindsight, you know, we lost Lane. And so any recording of him singing is, is amazing. So, you know, me, me having this last on my list doesn't take away from the album at all because it's still in this canon of amazing stuff that the band did. And, and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, I would happily listen to this any day. Oh, for sure. And and like we said in the last episode, despite the fact that, you know, there's albums considered at the bottom, none of Alice in Chains' albums are straight up bad. You know, I'd say like the bottom of the barrel is still good. Yeah, agreed. But yeah, that is, uh, that is unplugged for me at uh, number four, if you have anything more to uh, add to that. No, no, I don't. I don't. And uh, it's, it's in, I, I like that. I like that this is part of why I like talking to you about this music, because we always even though we always end up sort of agreeing on these these specific points of a band, there's always these different views that come in from you because of your age and, and how you were introduced to things. So hearing the Unplugged album get, you know, uh, a little more love is is a it's, it gives me a different perspective on it, and so that's kind of cool. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was just going to say, I actually uh, saw the uh, performance before I got 
the album to 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 actually listen to as like a CD. But uh, I do remember I got it as a Christmas present um, just randomly. You know, my uncle, I think it was my uncle, found out that, you know, I'd finally got on the Alice in Chains thing. And he was like, oh, I've got to buy him something yeah. that's Alice in Chains that I know he hasn't got. And uh, knowing that I was a big metal guy at the time, I suppose he thought he won't have the Unplugged right now, will he? Nah. So he went, <laughs> he went and got it. And uh, I loved it. And um, yeah. Cool. Well, that is my story of unplugged. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, let's let's move into my number four. Um, we talked about this one briefly on the last episode because it was one of your uh, lower half picks. But my number four is the EP Sap from 1992, and we we talked a lot about this because I think I went on kind of a tangent about um, the perspective of when it came out about how my memory of it is very much different than somebody that came to it later when Jar of Flies had already been made. So the significance of Sap to me is much higher than Jar of Flies because like I said before, when they got to Jar of Flies, it was the first not surprising release that they put out because I already knew they could do a stripped down acoustic version of their sound. That doesn't take anything away from Jar of Flies. It's you could argue that it's superior to Sap, and I, I wouldn't disagree with with most of your points. I'm sure, but Sap, when it came out, I wasn't a huge fan of the first album at the time. I liked tracks off of it, but it didn't fully connect with me. For some reason, this did when it came out, and it was even weirder because I didn't listen to anything that was like acoustic or stripped back at that time at all that there was nothing in my collection that sounded like sap and the fact that it was a whole EP and I just listened to it over and over again. And they were songs I love to sing to Cause you know, my, I don't have the best singing voice in the world, but my, my range is kind of in the middle there where, you know, some of Lane's stuff would be and Jerry Cantrell. And so these were also songs that I just loved to sing as well. All, all four of the, of the main songs on this. And so this is an uh, EP that has gotten so ingrained in who I am that it's one of those EPs and, and collections of songs that the, the songs play and my body feels something like I'm back in 1992. Yeah. And it just feels so good. And then, uh, got me wrong is included on the soundtrack for one of my favorite movies of all time. Clerks, and so that was a big deal too. Although Clerks was a couple years later, um, so I was already really into Alice in Chains when that movie came out. But it's all these little things about this EP that just make it very special to me. And you can't you can't even skip over the fact that Mark Arm of Mudhoney and Chris Cornell of Soundgarden are both on a track on this. And um, it's just it's weird. It's it's such a weird. EP because you bring up the the terms acoustic and stripped back and mellow or whatever and you don't necessarily think it's going to be dark but it is yeah. like got me wrong has its lighter moments it's it's probably the lightest song on the album but the other 3 are very dark and yeah. I've always really liked that the idea of creating really mellow but also very moody and dark music 
and I don't think Am anyone. Am I inside? Uh, yeah, that's, that's that's the the darkest sounding one I think. Yeah, yeah, and that's it's those are and there I don't know. There's nothing you know. The last track is a silly track, whatever. But just <laughs> there's those four songs all in a row are just so well written and performed and they're just of a time. And like I said before, since I've had all this time with this EP now and over the years, some things that I loved back when they came out don't resonate as well now. And that's fine. But some of them do, I think even more. And, and this EP is one of those. So that's why it's my number four. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I yeah upon you know re-listening to Sap, it, it's an incredibly good selection of songs, e- yeah. even down to even down to get the midget. You know, there's just <laughs> you know there's something there's something like fun. It's it's like it's like you say, even though they were a dark band and they've got kind of a tragic story tied to them, it, there were moments of humor. Yeah, in in their music and you know in their in their live shows and even down to you know hanging out with Pantera and stuff like that. You know, any band that gets to hang out with Pantera is going to get to get up to some jackass shit. Yeah, and yeah. And, and, that, and that's and that's an interesting point that you bring up about Allison Chains. Any footage that you see, you can find on YouTube. There's actually a like a really short like ten five or ten minute story on them. I don't know if it was from the news or where it was from, but this is pre facelift. When they were still doing a little more of the the the, the lighter edge, not lighter, but um, the hard rock kind of shit that was a little more eighty sounding, yeah. And any of that footage, the, the one thing you always take away from them is they are funny guys. Yeah, like they seem like a band you want to hang with. And I've said I'll say this all the time. That goes a long way when you're a music fan. If you love this music, and then every time you you know, see an interview with them or anything. You're like, man, not only do they write amazing music, but I just want to go have a beer with these guys. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really important thing that they were, they were, they seemed like awesome dudes next to their music. And that's something I also feel like is, is, you know, you get the odd band, but it's kind of missing from, modern metal to me vibe wise because i don't know if this is me just being retroact retrospective again but you know there were things about even the most serious of bands that they would do something and it would be it would be funny back then whereas now i feel so many modern metal bands and so many musicians full stop take everything so 100 percent deadpan serious all of the time that it, it can get a little wearing so it would be nice to have some bands out there really inject a little bit of yeah. you know goofiness back into it a little bit not saying you know make the entirety of metal you know the pizza thrash kind of thing but <laughs> that's going too far <laughs> but um but but that that on that and um the reasoning for why I love the the first four or five, whatever many releases of Alice in Chains is uh, another thing that's missing today is bands that don't give you what you expect. Yeah. And still 
doing great shit. That is a thing that does not happen a lot anymore. It is rare that a band gets some kind of success and then follows it up with something different. And I don't know why, because if you look back in the past, it's clear that it would, there was success. And not only that, people that were fans of Facelift, they loved Sap, they loved Dirt. It was They didn't lose fans as far as I know, and they, mm. they didn't churn out the same fucking shit over and over again. Exactly. And, you know, even if a band does have like a, a, a core sound, you um, it's always good to change it up with every Absolutely. release. Because, you know, even if I love an album, I don't want to hear a less memorable version of the same thing. You know, yeah. give add a different source to it, you know. I agree. Yeah. So that is... Um, which which one were we on again? Sap. We, we were, yeah, we were on Sap, and now we're yeah. on to your number three. Cool. So uh, my number three, I've gone for sticking to the uh, acoustic EP kind of stuff. I've gone for Jar of Flies. All right. Now we are approaching. I would say for me, we're in ten out of ten territory. You know. Yeah. Maybe Jar of Flies, if I was being extra critical, would be a nine. But the next three, I could easily put in like a, a top 50 albums of all time for me. Yeah. But yeah, um, so without further ado, I'm going to jump straight in to Jar of Flies. Cool. So I, I have a strong emotional connection to this EP. If I'm ever staying somewhere that isn't, you know, my home or I'm going through a lot of stress and shit, this record immediately tells that shit that it isn't welcome and I'm just vibing and leave me alone bad feelings because, you know, it, it makes me feel chill. And I know it's got some dark themes to it, but there's there's just something kind of soothing about this album to me. It. Yeah, it has a very welcoming quality in it, which is interesting. Yeah, and considering like the fact that there is a, like a dark aura around it, it it doesn't it doesn't necessarily unsettle me. It it, it just I hear it and I think this is great. You know, I fucking love this album, and I'm I'm just gonna sit here for the next seven songs and absolutely really enjoy it. And it starts off with Rotten Apple, which has an acoustic bass with chorus on it. And that is <laughs> right off the right out of the gate is is oh hi Eddie. <laughs> you know <laughs> we made an album for you. And it, you know, it's got really cool psyched out guitar work on it before culminating into this beautifully dark song. Um, nutshell, one of the most beautifully sad songs ever written, in my opinion, and one of the most spiritual experiences I've ever had with another musician was playing it on acoustic guitars and singing it at a friend's house back in college. And I was just mm -hmm. like, "Oh, you know Nutshell?" He's like, "Oh, yeah, I'm a massive Chains fan." And I was like, "Oh, dude, we gotta we gotta learn Nutshell right right fucking now." <laughs> it's and a we great did. One. 
Yeah, um, I Stay Away, third great track in a row. Absolutely brilliant song, uh, you know, complete with that epic string section that just really elevates it to this, like, wow. To, to, to me, at least, I think the big standout thing that separates this from Sap is the orchestration of it. It feels more composed than... It's it's more mature for sure all, yeah. all around. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Sap is kind of like I don't want to say kind of like a campfire album, but th- the songs on this album maybe require a few extra musicians in the form of a string quartet to be able yeah. to really pull off. And you know that's in this song and it's the fact that they can pull away from like the pretty sections for a part and still manage to fit in that, you know, chromatic, uh, wow, you act crazy kind of yeah. thing. It's still got that slightly creepy edge to it, but it's all, it also never steps into too heavy a realm that it throws the vibe off. And I know that's something we love about Alice in Chains, but I feel mm-hmm. like certain songs need to be served a certain way. And th- and this is obviously one of them. Um, no excuses. Iconic right at the start. You know, probably Sean Kinney's most iconic drum beat, you know, because it's just, it's unaccompanied at the start and it's such a unique beat. I, I don't know whether or not it is his most recognized but it's definitely one of them like i always i always looked at it as though he'd he'd gotten some tiny symbols and some other stuff he's like look i want to put them all in here and so (laughs) he he hits all these different little things but it sounds so cool i paid for the whole kit i'm gonna use the whole kit (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's um i consider sean kinney to be one of my biggest influences on uh the drums and the patterns he plays always felt really good to me even if he's like you know just like those little tom and bongo things that he throws in around just the kick hi-hat and snare just adds so much extra flavor to it and really makes it pop out of the speakers yeah he's Um, a very he's a very classy drummer to me a lot of the things he does and he's not he's not even being flashy he's just no He's just being interesting, <laughs> and that which is really what I like out of a drummer. I I, I don't need to be you know Dave Lombardoed all the time. You know sometimes <laughs> sometimes I just want and I'm not taking anything away from Dave Lombardo. He's a fantastic fantastic drummer, but there's just something really tasteful about the things that Sean Kinney d- decides to play, and it always just really resonated with me. Um, great song, especially in the rhythm department. Uh, Whale and Wasp. I love Whale and Wasp. You know, awesome instrumental track with like really ethereal lead guitars and cello melodies. Honestly, if someone told me that this was the soundtrack to actually going to heaven, it, I would probably believe them. Because <laughs> there is something mysterious about it and then it changes to this like heavenly major key thing in the middle and i love that turnaround 
um, Don't Follow, the other most beautiful song on this record, Next to Nutshell. I actually uh, put together a cover of this for a college project. I'll have to, mm-hmm. um, have to send it to you. I think it's on, yeah, it's on Eddie Sparks 2. Yeah, my oh, okay. second channel where I, I, every few months, I might dump the odd thing on there. Um, but yeah, just for a bit of fun. And swing on this, uh, this jazzy, bluesy, swingy track to close out the record. I, you know, I like this one, and it alternates from that fun to unsettling feel, and I think that's really cool. And uh, yeah, that is Jar of Flies for me. Awesome. And yeah, and, and, and I love this EP and, uh, the reason why it, it ended up being my number five, um, below sap was because I think the second half of it is not as strong as the first half. I think after no excuses, it takes a little bit of a dip, even though it's still really good. And like I said before, at this point, we already knew that they could do something like this. So they, it's almost like they just did what they did before better. Um, yeah. So I guess if you're going to get something that's in the same vein as something else, you, you, getting an improvement on it, I guess, is uh, is always welcome. So, um, but yeah, it's a it's a classic EP. This is also the first recording they did with um, Mike Inez that's as well, right. isn't it? Because uh, I tell you what, there there is there's something about mics getting replaced with other mics in bands, <laughs> yeah, because. Obviously, Mike Starr um, is replaced with Mike Inez. I know in Dream Theater, Mike Portnoy got replaced by Mike Mangini. Uh, and then there's there's two Mikes in Faith No More, but uh, that's not really a replacement story. That's just a t- <laughs> tale of two Mikes. <laughs> the, the key the key is folks if you if you meet somebody and their name is mike and start a band with them <laughs> um cool well then we're we'll move on to my number three um i i think before we hit our the the this point um i want to take a minute to give some love to the two songs they recorded for the soundtrack Last Action Hero. Yes. Because I feel like if we were rating if we were ranking those, they would fit about right here in yeah. the rank for me. Because both of those songs, What the Hell Have I and A Little A Little Bitter, are both so amazing. And the fact that they just had these two badass songs and they just threw it on this soundtrack, which is one of my favorite soundtracks ever. Yeah. <laughs> so much good shit on there. And they and I guess those were their last recordings with the, with the original bass player, but they just they're great songs. And so I feel like not talking about them is would be a crime here because they I feel like they're just as important as anything on any album because they they st- are still, especially what the hell have I there? It's a song that I still love to listen yeah. to all the time now. I, but, oh, go ahead. sorry. I was just going to say, I am absolutely in love with the use of sitars in metal songs. Yeah. And you know, wherever I may roam a secret place, what the hell have I, anything with a sitar in it automatically gains like a hundred points for me because i'm just like oh <laughs> yeah i really like the way that sounds and that's probably just because it's just probably the purest example of the natural chorus effect or something but maybe yeah it's that and 12 strings 
twelve string guitars as well are are also a thing I love. But I digress. Back to yeah. uh, back to what the hell have I? Yeah, and when, while we're on the subject, I think that the Last Action Hero got a raw deal because I think it's a good movie. I I really enjoy that movie, and I yeah. did. When, I saw it in the theater, like when it came out, and I was like, "This movie's fucking great!" Like I, it was a little bit dumb, but that's because it was you're including a child in it, and it's a little bit. It's not as as a, I mean, it's not an R-rated film, so you're not getting all of the the language and violence from your normal yeah. Schwarzenegger movie at the time, but. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it's great. And I just, I feel like it was just one of those things. Maybe everybody was just kind of tired of Arnold at that point. I don't know. <laughs> it feels like the next logical step from Kindergarten Cop. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, oh, yeah, that was before Last Action Hero. I love that movie too. I like yeah. any, any Alice, uh, shit, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Arnold and Schwarzenegger. That's his daughter. <laughs> Um, but yeah, anyway, we, we don't need to talk about that. That's for another, another podcast. So, um, on to my number three, which my number three and my number two, even now, as I'm thinking about it, I'm trying to figure out, do I want to do this as my number three or my number two? Cause this is really hard. And, um, also this is one of the few episodes where I don't have any notes. I'm just, oh, wow. I'm, I'm off the top of my head here because these are all albums that I know really well. And it's re like this is like you were saying with your two and one. My my two and three switch places all the time. Yeah. But I have to add a little bit of of objective thinking, I think, if that's the right term. I always get objective and subjective mixed up. But I'm trying to look at it from a, a outside viewpoint as well as my viewpoint. Put those together. And so my number three. Unfortunately, because <laughs> I have to decide, my number three is going to be uh, the self-titled Alice in Chains album or Tripod from 1995. And God damn it, I love this album. It it is it is the ultimate example, in my opinion, of the Grower album. Yeah. Where if you first hear it. And some of it connects with you and some of it doesn't. It's almost like an album that is designed for listens throughout the rest of your life. Yeah. Because you, some things on the first go around make you want to listen to it again. And then you will get more out of it and more out of it the more times that you listen. And it's a little long. So maybe that, that, that's a reason why I could have it here at number three. And I have issues with the production, but I also have issues with the production of my number two. So I, <clears throat> in this particular case, my problem is that I think the, it, it feels a little light in the production where the, I think the riffs should have been louder and heavier and the drums, something about it feels a little bit understated yeah. for, for what Alice in Chains was doing for their heavier stuff. But that's a minor gripe. But every track, it just takes you through this journey from the most, you know, just energetic four-minute rocker to really weird psychedelic seven-minute songs to really beautiful acoustic songs to uh, songs that you're just like, what the fuck were they thinking when they did this? And um, it's just uh, it's just so much fun to listen to, but also there's a... A, a layer of of I guess uh, somber or, or sadness or something in this because it feels 
especially in hindsight, like an album by a band that is experiencing some problems, inner turmoil. Yeah. Um, and it within that inner turmoil, it almost feels like the band has inner turmoil because individuals in the band have their own inner turmoil and it's all coming through in this music. And, you know, even in, in Lane's uh, lyrics, which from what I read, he wrote a lot of them like really quickly and some of them in the studio. And if you really pick it apart, they're real. Some of them are real simple lyrics where you can tell he just had a thought and that's what he said. But that makes it even more honest to me about who Lane was, how he was feeling and what he wanted to say. And, um, it's just a dark and beautiful and weird and engaging album. And um, like I said before, before you get... So we had Jar of Flies, but each release, aside from Jar of Flies, to me, gives you something that you don't expect. Obviously, their debut gave us something we didn't expect because we didn't know Alice in Chains. And then Sap, they take a little bit of a different turn. Dirt takes what they originally did, makes it much darker and uh, and heavier and then they did you know jar of flies which was great but then they go to this album where they get even darker and weirder than you were expecting like they take things that they had done in songs like uh sick man and and just fucking you know magnified it by a thousand on here with yeah with this the weirdness of the songs and um a few i just my probably my favorites on here um, an easy favorite is the song again, just because it has such a great heavy groove. And, and as we talked about on the last episode, I just love the, I just, I love that part of the song. Yeah. And, um, God am is an amazing song. Um, that's one that if you listen to the version on the Alice in Chains live album, um, Lane's vocals on that are amazing because in the studio version, there's layered harmony vocals. Yeah. But live, it's Lane by himself doing the high harmony part. And Just it sounds so good. Belt in it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then of course you have like things like Sludge Factory, which I almost feel like Sludge Factory was responsible for sludge metal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it I mean, I know there were bands doing the style that would end up being called sludge probably at this time anyway. Yeah. But it just has that weird, dirty, gross. It sounds like you're in sludge. Yeah. The guitar riffs and everything about it just feels like you're in this weird, funky stuff and you don't know how to get out of it. But at the same time, you're like, this is okay. I'm just going to let myself get dragged down <laughs> into, yeah. this, into whatever the fuck this is. But um, I can talk about this. Uh, this, this to me is the most interesting to talk about of all of their albums, probably because yeah. I hear this one talked about the least. Like I don't hear a lot of people talk about the self-titled album. And I, I really do think like, I don't think this is the intro to Alice in Chains. If somebody's new to Alice in Chains, yeah. do not listen to this album first. But um, if you, if you already are into Alice in Chains and you're ready to be challenged, then um, this album is the one. So um, it's my number three. But you know, on a different day, um, I could feel like it's my number two. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there's something very um, accessible about everything that came before this album. 
and then you get to this album and it's like they've taken the weirdest parts of their sound and put, made a whole album of that yeah and you know it the length of it and the production of it does make it you know a bit of a taxing lesson if you're not in the right mood but like you say it is just one of those perfect examples of a grower album because every time you revisit it you gain another song or two that you really like or um, or a part of a song that you've yeah. forgotten about or didn't really hear the first time yeah because yeah. I get that every single time I hear this album. Yeah. And, and and once again, like we were talking about earlier, I can't see any band these days doing an album like this. Like if that's already what they do, if they already do kind of a weird, you know, sludgy metal kind of thing, then I that's fine. But this is a, a very successful band these days would not put out this album. And that sucks yeah. <laughs> because it rules. And it's I don't I don't want this to sound like you know insulting to Lane or anything, but someone described the lyrics on this album kind of like I think it was something along the lines of like in, in a good way they meant it in a good way the way the lyrics and things happen on the record it feels like the ramblings of a man that's going insane. Oh yeah. I would and agree with that. It it certainly is a soundtrack to where they were at, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all all albums really are a reflection of of where the band is at at the time. But you can tell that they'd certainly shifted gear to a darker place on this record. Yeah, and I don't think they even really got to tour on this one because I think this. Yeah. Right after this, Lane went into rehab. Oh, he actually, he was in rehab prior to this too because I was supposed to see them with Metallica in 94 and that they dropped out um, kind of at the last minute because I remember even, my, I think even my ticket had Allison Chains on the ticket. Yeah. And, and they didn't play. They were replaced with uh, Candlebox, was it? Well, I think and I think really Candlebox was already supposed to play, so I think the replacement was Fight. I think Fight came in at the uh, tail end, and then everybody else just got pushed up one. I, you know what? Honestly, I feel really bad about that that experience for me because I didn't give Candlebox a fair shot because I was so pissed that it wasn't Alice in Chains. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen footage of Candlebox from that time, and I like their first couple albums. So I'm, I'm almost like, man, I I. I was not letting myself enjoy yeah. that because I so badly just wanted to see Alice in Chains. But um, it's one of those things I can't I can't do anything about it now. <laughs> I was a kid. I was <laughs> I mean I was fourteen or fifteen at that point, something like that. I was maybe I was sixteen. Fuck, I don't remember. I was a, I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, I really like their uh, first album. I haven't I haven't heard uh, the other two. But uh, yeah, the, that first the, the first album. the first two are great. Um, that's a band that I think we should visit at some point and dig yeah. into their discography because I think overall they're a pretty solid band. But we're talking about Alice in Chains. <laughs> <laughs> so now we truly get to find out if we are going to match up with our number two and number one. Is this going to be a, another love fest, 
or are we gonna are we gonna fit like an odd puzzle <laughs> with these two? I I think it could be the latter. You know, I oh racked, shit. Okay, I racked my brain trying to figure out what was gonna go where. And you should also check your brain as well. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, (laughs) (laughs) shut up, butthead. (laughs) Are you threatening me? (laughs) I used to be able to do really good impressions of Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, I could do the laugh, but like as soon as it got to actually saying words, it got a little bit iffy. But I, if if I work on it, I, I feel like I could do a pretty good job. Which but, um, uh, Mike Judge from Texas, from my home state. That is cool. That's fu- that's really fucking cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm I like Beavis and Butthead, but my uh, my favorite of his is uh, King of the Hill. I love King of the Hill. It's all toilet sounds. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I need to watch more King of the Hill. I've seen a few oh, yeah. episodes. There, I every episode is great to me. I love that show. You told them to mix ammonia and bleach. That's the recipe for mustard gas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't make mustard gas if you just heard that from me. I don't need to get yeah, sued. Yeah, don't. No, you might get in trouble or blow yourself up or yeah. something. <laughs> okay. Here it is, the, the nerve, nerve-wracking conclusion of the list. Are we going to match okay. up? Are we not? Well, as I was saying, if I could give both of these the top spot, I would. But I had to... I weighed it up. And there was a teeny, weeny hair split <laughs> in there that separated the two. And so... My number two is the second album, full oh, length. Oh, Dirt. Dirt. Okay, yep. let's talk about it. Well, it's a fantastic album. Absolute banger after banger, song after song. People talk about one, two punches. How about fucking 13? Because this, <laughs> you know, yeah. this album is fucking phenomenal. Like, right out of the gate, Them Bones, first Alice in Change track I ever heard. Guess where I heard it? San Andreas. Oh, hell, hell yeah, baby. I, sh- I should have known that. <laughs> I don't know. My brain immediately was like, oh, is this going to be some surprise? Oh, oh okay. That's where, you, that's where you heard all the awesome music. Yeah. <laughs> that's like the least surprising thing about me. <laughs> but yeah, also, it was also one of the first guitar solos I ever learned to, yeah. to some extent. There were a few like little things in there I made up just to kind of make it my own. But uh, yeah, then you get Damn That River. Another awesome track that just tears it up with riffage. I would go as far as to say, um, if Jerry Cantrell isn't the number one riffer of the 90s, he's at least yeah. top three. Like, yeah, damn, damn That River, the main riff, um, is one that I love to play on guitar. It feels good to play that one. Yeah, it's so simple, though. And it's, it's, it is a clear-cut case sometimes of less is more for yeah. this particular style. Um, I actually watched a, a video last night explaining like 
quote-unquote, the grunge scale. And this was a key example. Um, but yeah, it's just so... It's so amazing that in the space of two years, they were just coming out with song after song that had fantastic riffs throughout the entire thing. Um, Rain When I Die, vibey, groovy, riffy, anthemic, grunge song. Like, good fucking Lord. Yeah, and that's that's one of my favorite Lane songs too because some people can stretch out one word in in such an interesting way that it doesn't matter like sometimes you'll hear people stretch out like i don't know like r&b singers and stuff where they do runs and i'm just like that is unnecessary yeah but lane does you know did she call my name and when he does that i'm like oh that's so good so powerful uh, yeah, and he was that's that's an example of why I hold him high up in my my favorite vocalists because he had such great control over his voice and such interesting vocal ideas and he could just pull them off. Yeah. And he sounded amazing. And he's a very inventive guy with his voice too cuz on this album there are some really weird vocal choices and yeah. with one song in particular that I'll get to but um, yeah, track four, uh, I'm going off of the CD. Uh, so track four on here is uh, Sick Man. Well, that's that's actually originally when the album came out. So you're going by the track listing that I prefer. Because when the album first came out, the, the, the one that I had for years and years had Sick Man as number four. Yeah. And then later on, they repressed it where all of a sudden uh, Down in a Hole was number four. Yeah. And I always thought Down in a Hole sounded really great right before Wood at the end yeah. of the album. And when they moved it up, I, they moved it up because it became a hit single off yeah. the album. And I'm always like, why did, Why would they ruin a great sequenced album like that? But that's also nitpicking because it is an amazing song, so who cares? But yes, Sick Man. I love this song. Yeah, for, for me, th- this is... Uh this is going to shock you because it's not my favorite track, but I, I think the bridge is really, really cool where it goes into that like boom, doom, doom, boom, doom, doom. Can you the big, Yeah, the big see? harmony yeah. vocals. So, and then it's, and at some point you hear what sounds like a baby laughing. <laughs> yeah. It, like the, this really is, this is kind of the archetype song for the next album they would do. If you like the full length albums, at least, yeah, um, it's got really cool drumming from Sean Kinney. Weird time changes, quite dissonant guitar parts, um, crazy screams. Um, it's unhinged and suitably sick sounding. It, it's a really woozy and then frantic song, yeah. um, and it's all. Whenever I hear a song like this, I kind of get a Mr. Bungle vibe because of just the weird, crazy changes. It feels so... It feels complete, but it feels like it's put together in kind of the wrong order, but it's meant to be there. And there's so many changes in it. It's, it, it is a really cool song. Yeah. Um, then you get Rooster with the uh, Vietnam-themed mid-album masterpiece. You know, this is a great song, full stop. 
and that chorus effect on the guitar is juicy and then when it really kicks in and with like the wah pedal on the guitar the wow 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 yeah stuff like everything in that song is so tasteful because it's all exactly where it needs to be to serve the song and bring it to like crescendos and really yeah steps back into being quiet yeah it's 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 perfectly done um it, it is unfortunately for me the one one of the few songs that um i don't want them to play it anymore because i don't like william duvall singing this song like yeah. i saw every time i've heard him sing this song something's not right yeah. Like it doesn't have the power. He's a great singer, but you know, like I saw them live a couple years back and they, I think ended with rooster. And really? I was so, I so just wanted the song to be over. Cause I'm just like, it doesn't, wow. it, it, when it kicked in, I'm like, Oh, it just doesn't, it's not there. And it made it a little bit sad. I almost wish that they had just left it off and left on a high note, but I know I'm probably in the minority. Most people probably don't really care. But um, it's it's so well done with Lane, and I, yeah. it's one of those examples of a, a singer doing something that I don't think a, an other singer could do it the same way. Yeah, like th- it's quite a Lane spotlight on Lane song, you know, just with the walking tall machine gun man like stuff. Yeah, but I mean, even the choruses though, just his yeah. His he had such a strong, powerful voice on those parts, and he's he's just he just sounds so unique that um, a song like this it's like it's almost like it's a it's an important element of the song that you take that away and the song loses something for me because it's it's such a classic and well done track. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like I would probably miss it if they left it out of the set list if I, if I went to see them personally. But I do get what you mean. It's it's a very it's a very lane Staley song. Yeah. So it, I, even though it's about Jerry Cantrell's father, but still, you know. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's one of those weird things. I th- I think that's is this one of few albums, few songs on this album that isn't about drug use? Because I think a lot of this album is is known for being pretty honest about addiction and stuff yeah um because i mean this one um i don't think down in a hole is um about drug use but i might be wrong um but those are also ones that i think cantrell wrote on his own yeah whereas the a lot of the other ones are uh uh, combos with him and and lane yeah like but what a what a duo though Mm -hmm. they were so perfect for each other Yep. Um, Junkhead, one of my favorite Alice in yeah. Change tracks. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. I I would go go as far as to say this is probably my top five songs. Uh, it has that doomy descending feeling to it that we mentioned in the previous episode. You know, with that down, 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 down. Yeah, yeah. It's that whole descending feel and the the lead guitar part around the three minute mark that really pretty one with like no rhythm guitar behind it it's just bass in the lead yeah is in my opinion one of the most beautiful lead guitar parts ever put to tape 
And it to me, it's up there with the middle section of Master of Puppets for something like that. Yeah. Um, Dirt, the title track, uh, Middle Eastern distorted guitars are another thing I absolutely live for. Um, Godsmack, that kind of funky, janky kind of track with cool rhythms and really weird but interesting vocals from Lane Staley. You know, that oh, really... I, I love it. Shaky I love... thing here. Like that. I, I, was, I, I remember when I, when I was young, I, I was all like, did they put him on some sort of machine that was <laughs> shaking his body? Put him on because I'm like, how did boards. he do that? Or was he, or was he hitting his... His larynx or whatever, and going like this, because that's what it sounds like. Yeah, and it, I so I I mean I don't know if he did that or not, but um, it's one of the best vocal moments on here to me, just because he didn't need to do that, but he did. Yeah, and it's fucking perfect. I have to be one of these assholes that chimes in and says, "I hate this song because it led to the band Godsmack." <laughs> <laughs> Oof. But I love this song. I just hate the fact that somebody says the name Godsmack and it's been ruined <laughs> by this fucking awful band. Ouch. There are some, there are some hurt Godsmack Sorry. fans. My in, claws in came out for a second, but you know. <laughs> some, sometimes I got I I can't be positive all the time, folks. <laughs> there are some bands that I just do not like. Godsmack is one of them. There's a uh, gag in the next video I'm making, the Black Sabbath one that is inspired by you. The, oh, really? Uh, yeah. You had a bit of an influence over uh, how I uh, address myself in the videos. So it's, I've, I've kind of taken on, there's another character on the show now. I'm going to start throwing extra characters on there. That's it's, awesome. Yeah. I can't, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it's... it's it, I won't give too much away, but like it's kind of like me with like an audience kind of heckling me every now and again and I'll, t- <laughs> I'll say i'll say like a bad joke and then you'll hear my voice be like oh fuck you dude like <laughs> off screen like <laughs> so yeah it's just kind of this like i've started to become very self-aware with how i portray myself on on youtube and uh i feel like you know, that I have a lot of little internal voices in my head. Don't worry, I'm not crazy. I just, <laughs> I, I have a problem with being able to do anything without constantly criticizing myself. So I thought rather than dwell on it, I'd turn it into a pretty good character dynamic and comedy element. But uh, yeah. Awesome. I'm looking forward to uploading that one. But anyway, funnily enough, transitioning from the whole Black Sabbath thing, we got a little reference here with iron gland uh yeah it's a fun little nightmare section um with uh slayers tom Araya uh yelling i am iron gland (laughs) (laughs) it's that um i there's a story to this thing like it's just like a 40 second mini in it's actually called like a multitude of different things on different releases some just call it intro some call it intro dream sequence quote unquote and then some put iron gland and it's just this 40 second thing of this horribly dissonant um like nightmarish descent into hell kind of thing yeah 
And I think Jerry was fucking around in the studio or something. And like they said, we should record that. And he was like, you fucking shitting me. (laughs) (laughs) I always heard... I always heard that the, the the little melody that he plays at the end, he put in there because apparently it was something that he played that would piss the other guys off because yeah. they hated it so much. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it was like that weird... So they put it into the song. Uh, it, there's, a, there's a video that I did about like four years ago on my old channel. I'll have to unearth it, but it's very similar to that. It's called How to Be Annoying in a Studio Environment. <laughs> and it's just me playing this like really annoying, janky, top few strings riff. But um, yeah, I, I've got a lot of references because I was really into Alice in Chains at the time. But uh, yeah, Hate to Feel uh, also has that doomy descending thing that Alice in Chains do really well. Uh, there's wild changes in feel and an awesome chorus in the song as well. Just that, you know, oh, this time I swore I'd never be like my old man. Just when it really explodes, like the, the last few songs do like this thing where they come into themselves and they're like kind of, what the fuck? and then boom into this explosion um they they really fucked around with dynamics on this album big time yeah so it's and it's another testament to why they were such an amazing band because they you you didn't get the same track twice yeah or anywhere anywhere close to it in and i love that totally and that's the thing about alice in change is that they've got this this uniqueness about them like that there is no other way to put it they just have something special um yeah uh angry chair one of the many amazing songs on this record i love that whole mood that it sets again it's got these changes in it that really highlight how many left turns they take on the side b section of this album um like also, this. it's important to point out that those two songs, Hate to Feel and Angry Chair, both written just by Lane Staley. Really? Yeah, those are those are Lane Staley. Like, if you listen to especially Angry Chair live, he plays guitar yeah. on that. He does that. And apparently he was the sole songwriter on both of those. Holy shit. That, that, is, that is, you know, eye-opening. Yeah, but I t- I totally believe it because he was an incredible talent, and y- y- you get down in a hole. Fantastic song, probably in my opinion, the most emotional song on this album. Uh, yeah. you know, I've found that as the years have gone by, I relate more and more to this song, for better or for worse. But there is just something about down in a hole that could be, you know, regardless of the original song's intended meaning, that could apply to anything. You could be just, you could be depressed, you could be going through some shit. And to, to me, like, the whole idea of, like, a sad song is, is to remind you that, you know, you're not alone. And that, that's, that's the big thing f- f- for me. Because a lot of people will say, 
hey, you're kind of listening to a lot of like down music and you ain't doing great yourself. Are you all good? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hey, trust me, if I listen to happy music right now, I'd feel even worse because I'd feel like the only person who who doesn't who doesn't feel good right now. You know, that's yeah. Yeah. It's and, kind and of, songs like that are important because like not only does it make you feel like you're not alone when you're you know feeling down but also i feel like songs like this when you're when you're happy these are the songs that sort of it's it's like an emotion that almost makes you appreciate where you are so yeah. that the song takes on a different feeling um which is which is interesting when it comes to songs like that yeah, and it it's it's moments like this that make me kick myself for not putting it at the, at the number one spot. But yeah, it it the the my two top picks are totally interchangeable any day of the week. Um, and then finally you get wood. I say it as <laughs> <laughs> every time there's a question mark at the end of a song, I have to say it like that. It's it's just grammar. It's how it's how it works, people. But um, you know, one final grunge anthem to close out this album. I the the grunge song to me. Like, if I was going to pick yeah. one song to sum up the the grunge explosion, yeah, um, it wouldn't be Teen Spirit. It would be this one. I don't know why. It just feels so perfect. Yeah, there's something really special about this song, and it's perfect as a closing track. Um, I absolutely adore the amount of reverb on this song. <laughs> yeah. And like I know I talk about like the big 80s drum sound and stuff like that. I love this reverb for a different reason. It accentuates Lane's voice and really gives it this huge absolutely almost ethereal edge to it because like he's still got like the tail end of what he said happening as he's saying another word and it just keeps him it's he's absolutely belting this chorus but it feels like a chant at the same time and i love that and and it was in the the film singles i think it was recorded for the film singles i think it was initially for singles but they decided hey it's really good let's stick it on the album which that's a movie that when it came out, I was too young to really appreciate it for what it was. Like I loved the soundtrack and I thought the movie was pretty cool. But as I got older, it became a movie that I'm like, oh, I now now that I've lived a little bit, I know what this movie is about. Yeah. The last <laughs> and, time um, last time I saw it, sorry, was was when I was about fourteen. So I, I could probably benefit oh. from seeing it again. I would say wait like it finally kicked in for me in my late twenties, I think yeah. when, when finally the movie made some kind of sense to me <laughs> and, um, cause it, cause it was funny. It's a, it's a great, it's, it's a, you know, comedy drama, you know, it's, it's, a, uh, um, but I, I just, that movie itself is uh, very important to this era of music because, yeah. you know, Alison Chains plays in the movie. You've got Eddie Vedder and is it Stone Gossard that's in that movie? Yeah, um, Soundgarden uh, as, is in it as well, aren't they? Uh, 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 Chris Cornell shows up briefly in the movie. Isn't there a scene? Um, is there a scene where they play Birth Ritual? No, I think it's just in the soundtrack. I don't think that they this, the Soundgarden's in the movie. I think it's just Alice in Chains. I might be wrong, 
But I do know there's that scene where Matt Dillon is showing off the new car stereo sound system yeah. and Chris, Chris Cornell just randomly shows up yeah. <laughs> to, to, to groove to the music. I love that scene. I love that because it's just like, here comes Chris Cornell out here like he's nobody. And yeah, he's like he's, just I, like, I just live next door. I came to say hi for a yeah. second. You know, <laughs> I'm just a real big fan of car stereos. <laughs> But that's a, yeah, that's a, it's definitely a movie that um, once you once you get older, it, it I, I think that because it, it's interesting because that movie um, um, it's it's uh, it it's of its time, but also it's a movie that it, uh, it it resonates with those of us who were young then and are now getting old. It has like an almost double meaning to it because it's so tied to yeah. that early 90s Seattle scene which is cool you know it's 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 great when something kind of gets a second wind for someone yeah that's definitely a movie like that awesome but um but yeah so that's and then and that song wood is uh, amazing that soundtrack's amazing cool so yeah we get to talk about my top pick before i get to my top pick i'm guessing <laughs> <laughs> um you wouldn't be wrong my uh my num- so there's no there's no contest between my number 2 and my number 1 my number 1 is is always been my number 1 and will always be um but my 2 and 3 struggle with position and um i had to go with facelift for number 2 because out of the two I feel this is a more significant album, not just in the Alice in Chains discography, but in the story of alternative rock and what became grunge and just where they fit in in yeah. the rock and metal world. So I feel like Facelift, even though I listened to it less than Tripod, um, it's... it. It's importance is uh I can't really you can't really understate that. It's or overstate it. Um it's uh it's a killer album. It's an amazing debut album and like I said before when it came out it didn't completely connect with me. So I got into it the way I'm sure everybody else did where we saw Man in a Box yeah on on MTV and I think I the I think it was the Christmas right after this came out. Um I got it on CD and um I remember that there were things about it that I didn't quite understand. Yeah. Like uh some of the songs uh probably like you know I can't remember love hate love when you get to the middle of the album I just remember like I I, it, the album lost me somehow and over the years those those tracks ended up being tracks that i love even more than you know man in the box and and we die young but we die young is an amazing album opener yeah it is for sure. it is and i think the band for the most part still play that song first at every show really I think that they start off with we die young and um, that's great. I'm glad, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's a great song. Um, the thing that's interesting about this album to me is that songs like uh, um, P- Put You Down 
or and I know something about you. Those yeah. do not sound like grunge songs. No, those they don't. sound like eighties hard rock sounds. Even the rhythms of them, do 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 do. Like it's yeah. not. There's nothing nothing dark about those songs at all. Although I mean, lyrically, I guess you could say that at times they they they're dark, but um, it's interesting because you do get to hear a little bit of what Alice in Chains was prior to them getting to doing facelift. And honestly, if you listen to the, uh, the music bank box set, there are some early tracks that I love. Like I love, uh, uh, killing yourself. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, what's the other one? It's, it's a real happy one. Uh, uh, what, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? Like it's, uh, yeah. For some reason, hearing those guys doing a more upbeat sound is really cool. And I wish that they would just collect all of those early tracks and put them out on something, which brings me to uh, something we need to talk about really briefly. So I don't know if it's happening over there in the UK, but over here they announced the facelift box set. Yes. Yeah. I'm buying it. I'm buying it. Are you not? I'm not. No. Here's why. (laughs) Number one. There are no extra tracks anywhere to be seen being released. Number two, the box set has, you don't get regular vinyl. You get picture discs, and which, which is lower. The sound quality is never as good on a picture disc. Uh, aside from that, there is nothing. There is a picture book. There are some other pictures. There is like a, uh, there's a cassette. I already have facelift on cassette. I don't need it again. I don't. And I need it. That's that's the main main motivation of getting it. <laughs> yeah. And so um, for the price tag, which over here, I think it's like 130 bucks or something. I'm just like, there is not enough here. And, it, and then, you know, there's a re- remastered version just on regular vinyl that you can buy. But at this point, I don't know what the remastering is going to be like. I don't trust that shit. And so I have to wait and just hear it and see is, do I want to get this on vinyl? Or as my wife brought up yesterday, why don't you just fork over 200 bucks and order a, an original one from Discogs? And I'm like, hmm, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time <laughs> for me to make the most expensive vinyl purchase I've ever made in my life. Get me an OG vinyl facelift. Not one of these repressings that everybody has. Oh, I got one on white vinyl. <laughs> you fucker. <Yeah. laughs> you gotta, it's unofficial and it's probably, the quality is probably shit. But so I'm really thinking about like pulling the trigger finally and just getting an OG one because then I never have to think about it again. Like I have the album, the way it sounded on vinyl with, you know, the things that I want. And um, sorry, this is a bit of a tangent, but. I was just very disappointed because I thought there would at least be B-sides and outtakes and demos to listen to. I would have and, I would have liked to have seen that, yeah. Because, I mean, you have... I'm looking at it right here. So they got, you know, uh, I Can't Have You Blues, What You're Gonna Do, Social Parasite, Bleed the... Uh, there's demos, different versions of Bleed the Freak and Sea of Sorrow on top of Killing Yourself. And then de- there's other demos that have been found for, like, for like Queen of the Rodeo and shit like that. And they're not good quality, the ones that you find online. Yeah. But they probably have the original. So that's an, enti- an entire album they could have done of B-sides and demos yeah. or unreleased tracks. And so I'm like, as a fan, I'm like, well, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, like, 
throw me a freaking bone here. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's disappointing. I, I, have, I have an unfortunate condition called um, dumbass box set brain where I, immediate, <laughs> I immediately think, box set. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I'm the opposite because I'm I I now I'm at a position where I wish that I had bought all four of the Metallica reissue box sets, but I didn't buy any of them. Yeah. So I'm like, oh fuck, okay. But um, anyway, so that's that's going off on a tangent, but it's related to facelift because they just announced the re the the 30th anniversary reissue, which um could be better. But this album fucking kills. The uh, my only big gripe about this album is the way that the drums are mixed. It sounds like he's not playing a hi hat, like he's just going do 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 do. Like the <laughs> drums are so they sound like all the all of the uh, the the cymbals feel like they're way too quiet to the point where I'm all like, is it a drum machine that they put reverb on? <laughs> like what? And I know that he played it like with, with a broken hand or yeah. something when they did this. Um, but anyway, it's, so that's my only real gripe about it. I, I like the, the sound of this album cause it sounds of its time. It's, it still sounds very late eighties to me, but I guess yeah. that's when it was recorded was the late eighties. But, um, we'll get to this more when you, we talk about your number one, of course, but, um, there's just so much classic shit on here. Yeah. And a thing that I really like about facelift is out of all every single, Allison Chains released. I feel like this is the one where Lane tried the hardest to make big choruses. Yeah. You know, like he, it almost seemed like he wanted, he was trying to write big songs, big rock arena type songs in their style. And that seems like a thing that didn't really come, come around as much importance on dirt and later, even the more recent, ones uh, with William Duvall. Like there's very few songs that feel like they're supposed to be these big sing-along kind yeah. of choruses. And there's a lot of those on this album. Yeah. The, there's just a certain, I mean, I know obviously it still has like some dark tones to it, but it definitely feels like the uh, most innocent and happy album out of all of them. Yeah, yeah, because like it's to me, it just sounds like a band who's really happy that they've got like the ability to be able to do this, and they're like, "Holy shit, let's make a really kick-ass hard rock slash metal with a dark edge to it." Because they they were kind of doing to me to me at least at times, it sounds like a psychedelic Guns and Roses, like yeah, yeah. It, it it has like a obviously it's tuned down uh, in places, but th- there's a there's a distinctive vibe vibiness around it that differentiates it. You know, obviously the the the, the two standout tracks, which I totally totally agree about uh, being um, you know stylistically of their time. Um, put you down and i know something because put you down sounds like to me a guns and roses song that fell off the back of the tour bus it's like rocket queen it's got that rhythm from rocket queen yeah i was half expecting to start hearing like sex moans about halfway through (laughs) (laughs) and then 
obviously you get I know something about you. Now, contextually... <laughs> I was, I was going to say, contextually, it's the token funk metal track because it's 1990. And that's something that's happening at that time. Yeah. And I don't want to say that it sounds like, you know, label pressure or anything like that, but... Oh, no, I don't think it was at all. Yeah. I, I think I, it was just a, le- a leftover from their old tracks, and it was just... Because they they've all have qualities that make them really cool songs. Yeah. And so I think they probably were weighing out their old material, like which which one of these songs has the strongest. And also it adds a variety to the album. So yeah. it's, there's, I have no problem with it. Um, before I wrap up, though, I am going to point out that Man in the Box is another song that I don't want to hear William Duvall sing. Yeah. It, it, it's always disappointing. And I hate that. I hate that I have to say that, but... Um, he it doesn't it's it's not the same. It is not the same. Did you check? Well, I'm, out, I'm done. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say. Did you check out that uh, band scorned? That I didn't. I didn't. I have to send send me a link to something so I don't forget. Will do. Uh, he he has also been. I don't know if he still is or not, but he's in a an Alice in Change tribute called Facelift. And you know, I I don't want to be one of those guys that's like. Oh, he's like the second coming of Lane, but he is damn close. Like his larynx is like a pretty ninety-five percent match, <laughs> you know. Awesome, and it's it's really cool to to hear someone sound like that these days. But yeah, uh, and um, so so yeah, so I'm I'm pretty much done with facelift here. It's I, I love this album, but. Um, it's, I listen to it less than I listen to tripod, but I really do think that this album is a very important album for what was happening in music at the time. Um, just going back to my, my bitching about the box set. Um, they also could have included live facelift on there and they didn't. So, um, all these things that they did not do. And so therefore they are not getting my money, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yes, uh, facelift is, um, it's an absolute classic album. And I, I think out of my top four, I think that they're, they're all perfect. Like I don't, I wouldn't change anything about them because even the aspects that I have to nitpick at to put them in an order, I don't, I wouldn't change them because I, I love yeah. how they are already. So that's my number two. Cool. So I'm going to keep this facelift party going and uh, go to my number one. All right. Okay. So facelift. The teensy-weensy 80s production bias is what edged <laughs> this one over the I top sh- of I should share. have known. It, it, it's just, it, outside of ranking these records, you know, I consider these top three records to be absolute 10 out of 10 experiences. But I love the hybrid, transitional period feel of this album. And the fact that, you know, we, we, what we mustn't forget is that Alice in Chains and, you know, the the members individually, they, they had a history in that glam kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, their, their, their name originally was Alice in, like Guns in Roses and yeah. Chains with a Z. I think that was prior to Jerry Cantrell being involved. Yeah. But, um, but they literally were, <laughs> they'd made their name look like Guns N' Roses. <laughs> yeah. And w- which further proves the thing of like, you know, Put You Down feels like a very Guns N' Roses track. And, yeah. um, like, what is it? 
I, th- I think his Lane Staley had a high school band called Sleaze, spelt uh, S L E Z E, um, and they were kind of like you know your your typical eighties high school um, hard rock glam metal band. But then obviously you get Alice in Chains, <laughs> and it is a full on big hair glam act. But then, you know, when Alice in Chains happens, you know, they they do, they still all have, you know, the long hair, at least, you know, Lane was still rocking the the flowing curly locks, you know, I I think the rest of them, you know, they they all had long hair at this point. Yeah, yeah, they all had long, that's what I'm kind of driving at, is that he he was really the only one who cut his hair, but, um, you know... Um, I think I think by the time they released the video for I believe it was Sea of Sorrow, I think he had already cut his hair. Yeah, I th- I, th- I think that was when that was when the uh, when he might have decided to chop off his dreadlocks because he he actually had here here I am gushing about Lane's fucking hairstyles, <laughs> but um, you know he had like the curly stuff. Then he went into dreads. Then he had that like cool kind of beads in like a single braid with like short hair and then (laughs) like and then he just had like the short hair and kind of flip-flopped between various levels of that but um back to the music uh i just love the the whole aesthetic of this era of the band the sound of it and i i don't want to be like i I don't want to harp on the image too much but I still think the coolest fucking music video I've ever seen is the video for We Die Young. All yeah, of, it's great. All of the things in that video are a visualization of my personality. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is exactly what I want to see as a finished being, being, product. Being trapped under a tarp in a pool. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's just those, like, floating, um, like, thick like ice panels just floating in the water and with yeah. like really cool colors and effects on them with like Lane's face somehow like Lex Luthor trapped in it. And it's like, it's just really fucking cool. Um, so yeah, we die young killer song. What an amazing way to open an album. Uh, yeah, it's just such a really cool vibe. This down tuned, but still rooted in the eighties hard rock kind of thing. Uh, Man in the Box, easily their most well-known song, hit-wise. Um, it's just this absolutely perfectly put-together song. And it's not until you like really sit down and listen to it hard that you realize how many layers Man in the Box has. And I just want to do a quick little shout-out to... Uh, Rick Beato, uh, who does a series called What Makes This Song Great on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he did an episode on it. And I was astonished at how many guitar melody tracks are in this song. It is fucking mind blowing. And like, I know you could, uh, it would be easy to think, oh yeah, sure. They might've layered some like harmonies underneath the chorus and stuff. There is so much going on in this song that you don't even hear. You just feel it, and you 
you're always kind yeah. of you're always kind of trying to place down why does this song feel so good? It's because it's full of little extra studio tricks that they harmonized and and stuck underneath, and they still managed to pull it off live. Because and, and this one and this one was uh, was Dave Jordan, just like Dirt and Dave Jordan. I don't think that guy gets enough credit for all yeah. of the great albums that he did because he, after working with Alice in Chains, he did uh, Sound of White Noise for Anthrax. He did oh, Independent shit. by Sa- he did Sacred Reich Independent. Um, he did a lot of these so- uh, albums where the it almost had like a weird forward thinking sound to them. Like Facelift clearly isn't that, but once you get to Dirt, it's almost like he was trying to be a little bit futuristic with his recording style because those albums really don't sound dated to me. Yeah. Um, they, they sound very unique to that time period, but, um, in a, in a, in a, a very fresh kind of way, I guess. Yeah. There's, it's just such a, it's a really cool period in music history. That whole transition from the eighties into the early nineties where everything was kind of happening at once before Nirvana kind of put the final nail in the coffin. But, like, there's so, some really cool kind of crossover, grungy, glam moments on here. You know, Sea of Sorrow is a good example of that. You can really hear some leftover 80s tricks on this. And the the part where it's kind of like, you open fire, there is a massive like snare and tom hit that's just like they're at the mixing desk and they they have <laughs> they have the reverb dial in their hand and they're just like okay for this one beat of this bar I want you to just crank it and then pull it right back is and it just goes from do ka do it's is I only noticed that properly recently and i absolutely love the way they sound and how they really just jump out to me at least um i'd say like the 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 first kind of hint of like what we'd hear on dirt can kind of be heard in bleed the freak and it's and it's got that kind of i don't know how to put it I don't want to say drugged out, but it kind of is, you know? Yeah. Um, it's this almost mid-paced groove thrash kind of thing interspersed with these really melancholy, mellow moments. Um, when it really kicks in, it's like full-on metal. But there's a thing around this song in particular that's just so... It's, it's almost kind of like thought-provoking and then all of a sudden just pounds you. Um, I can't remember keeping that vibe going, but going for that more moody feel and it does feel like a more contemplative and thinking man's guns and roses kind of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But like, I feel like love-hate-love love is the much more mature brother of... I can't remember because it takes the moody feel of the previous track, but makes it so much darker and dynamic. And 
Lane really stands out when he really lays into it. And it's this, a very powerful vocal performance on that yeah, song. Yeah, Love Hate Love is in my top five too. It's up there with like, you know, Junkhead and that. Um, it ain't like that. Groovy as hell. Love this song. Um, that a bendy riff. Yeah, bendy riff. It just feels good to play. Like, I can, every time I hear that song, I like air guitar it exactly how you play it because I'm just thinking, so fucking cool. Um, Sunshine is this psyched out, groovy track, and I find myself belting out those vocals whenever it comes on i feel like sunshine mm-hmm. is an underrated song uh, i agree put you down like i said feels very guns and roses it's a cool track that shows off their influences at the time it's got a lot in common with like the the songs that didn't make the album but i feel like this one had just enough of the facelift vibe to make it um confusion is another slow and vibey track. You always love that. Uh, it does feel a bit more grungy. And then you get, obviously, the the, the funk metal song, uh, <laughs> I Know Something About You. Um, I do like it, even if it does seem maybe a little out of place vibe-wise, but not too bad. I, I, I like the chorus. Yeah. The chorus, it, it is a, it's, a, it's a, almost like the opposite, where the chorus doesn't really have a big payoff. It's almost more of a vibey, rhythmic kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I guess. <laughs> but it's, I've always liked the chorus of that song. And then finally, we get Real Thing. Uh, one of my favorite and most underrated tracks in their entire discography. And yeah. I love the Coming to America reference at the end as well. <laughs> Sexual chocolate, baby! Randy Watson! <laughs> <laughs> That's so was good. <laughs> yeah, good and good, terrible. Good and terrible. <laughs> you look so good, I want to put you on a plate and sop you up with a biscuit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, fucking hell, I need to watch that film again now. <laughs> They're making a second one. Are they? Yeah, with all the same cast. Like it's, they're coming back. It's going to essentially be like they're doing the Bill and Ted where they're coming back and doing oh, old, re- revisiting shit. those characters. Arsenio Hall's in it. Like it's, <sighs> I think they're in the middle of making it right now. No way. I'm down. I'll watch anything Eddie Murphy is in. I do not care. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I'll even watch those shitty kids movies that he did. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um. Back to facelift though, it's important to point out though that the the tour for facelift was a big thing where they hooked up on yeah. the uh, Clash of the Titans tour with Anthrax, yeah. Megadeth, and Slayer. That they were they were that kind of band that later on down the line would be lumped in with these bands that that apparently killed metal, but but those bands brought Alice in Chains with them um, as their yeah. opener and. Um, it makes sense, though. You listen to or, or hear uh, interviews with, you know, Anthrax, Megadeth, Slayer, all of those bands around this time. The two bands that you hear them talking about a lot are Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. Yep. They're not talking about other thrash bands. They're talking about them prior to grunge being a thing. Well, so, that's, um, I, th- I think um, and Sandman 
was inspired by Loud Love because I think Kirk Hammett was uh, playing around with the riff of Loud Love and he liked that kind of thing and then he started playing what would become the Enter Sandman riff. Interesting. Which is, which is a cool, interesting little anecdote. But yeah. I, I, I didn't know that, but I love Loud Love, but I mean, that's for another episode right there. We'll oh, get hell, there. Hell yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's very, it's cool that they were this band. And I guess that's part of why, um, I feel like they've, they've always been embraced by the metal community more so than any other grunge band, maybe Soundgarden a little bit, but, yeah. um, Alice in Chains seems like the biggie when it comes to those. I think Alice in Chains have, the, have the most outwardly shameless metal sound because i i feel like a lot of the a lot of the grunge bands kind of like regardless of whether or not they were heavy they kind of wanted to distance themselves a little they, bit yeah they yeah they all ended up getting less heavy over yeah. time whereas Alice in Chains even today still makes some really heavy shit yeah so i don't know that's probably why they're my favorite out of out of all of them i mean as much as i love nirvana um i listen to Alice in Chains a lot more yeah um but uh, are you done with your with your number one then, sir? I, I am indeed done with my number one pick. So so we didn't match up at all. We uh, we there was no uh, uh, meeting of the of the minds here. I guess uh, it's so my number one is Dirt, the uh, the nineteen ninety two um, second the second full length album by Alice in Chains came out the same day. Was it the same day as the first Stone Temple Pilots, or was it very close together? I'll have a look. Uh, I, I believe it was the same day. Let's have a look here. We're, we're, do, we're doing it live, people. Uh, All right. We'll do Dirt. it live. Dirt album. Let's look it up. Uh, September 29th, 1992. September 29th, 1992. And then Core Stone. Yeah, September 29th, 1992. So two. So it, I only bring that up because people liked to lump in stone temple pilots with these wannabe grunge bands. And I'm all like, Nope, they came yeah. out, came out the same day as Alice in Chains dirt. They didn't have enough time <laughs> to, yeah. to steal sounds and shit. It was just uh, great bands thinking alike. Um, I don't think stone temple pilots is anywhere near as good as Alice in Chains, but I do really like that band too. I feel um, like, I feel like at least core era, um, stone temple pilots, is the perfect middle ground between Pearl Jam's Ten and Dirt. I feel like there yeah. is there's they are kind of the link between the two ends of grunge. Yeah. And so and and Dirt was an album that when it came out, it completely obliterated anything else I was listening to at the time. Yeah. I listened to this album over and over again every day i would try to sing along with different harmony parts i remember you know i was i was a young teen and i remember sitting at home in my in my the front room of my house my parents had one of those old school big component stereos with the big ass tall speakers yeah and i would just sit in there in the middle of the two speakers and play this album and try to sing I would listen to the song one time and sing one harmony part. And then the next time I'd play it, I'd try to hit the other harmony part that was in there. Cause I was so fascinated by how they did that. They made this heavy music, but 
the vocals are so beautiful yeah with, with the arrangement of everything it's um and i don't think on facelift there isn't any of that is there is there there are harmony vocals but not in the way they started doing them on dirt like i feel like they stepped up their game like yeah. by leaps and bounds you know and so dirt is this album that when it came out no one was expecting it to sound the way that it sounded and by all accounts i think if if you know it's an album that shouldn't have been as successful as it was yeah but the the environment of what was going on in music at the time allowed for an album like dirt to be successful and to me that shit didn't matter because it was it i put this up there this is one of my top 10 albums of all time. I put it up there with Angel Dust because though they're both albums that challenged me musically and opened my mind to like, oh, these different things yeah. can be done and they really affect me. And and those both just like just like Angel Dust Face of uh, Dirt is an album that that influenced where I would go musically, learning to play guitar, wanting to play music. There's little bits of things from dirt that seep into everything I write. Yeah. And it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a very dark album. It's a heavy album. It's a beautiful album. It's a haunting album. It's all of the best things that Alice in Chains did. It's to me, the, the, the culmination of all of the, elements of what they were capable of done perfectly all in one album there's not a bad track there's no boring moment there's no there's no skippable tracks it's all killer no filler while still being a, a fucking almost hour long album yeah and um that says a lot because most of the time if an album goes over 45 minutes i'm checking my watch yeah but um the 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 reach that this album has had over my life ever since it came out cannot be denied um it is j just even today something that i listen to and try to pick apart like how how could they have come to this idea and these ideas left in somebody else's hands wouldn't be done as well as they were done here it's it's just um, lightning in the bottle, as they say, where these individuals were together, and especially Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell. Those guys together with all of the things and the ideas that they had, and you got to give props. Like I said, this album shouldn't have been successful, but you have to give credit to what was happening in music at the time because... Um, the the rock and metal listening public, the fact that we were embracing things like this gave them the power to do this album because in another time period, a record label executive would have been like, we can't put this out. Yeah. You know, I, I guarantee you they would not. They would have made them change shit or they would have made them write a cherry pie to throw on there <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Um, so 
It's one of those things where you can't take this album out of the time period that it's from, but it doesn't sound dated. It has to live in 1992 for it to happen. And I, that it, those are the things that make me a little bit sad because I don't know if we'll ever get there again musically when it comes to rock music. And if we do, I'll probably be dead. So it's a really special period yeah. of music and and nobody's going to make people try to make music like this. I hear it and it's not good. And and I don't know why it's not good. Um I could probably get real, you know, picky about what the specific things are that don't work when people try to make music like this, but it's just um it's a sound that you can't replicate and it's it's just a um, phenomenal album, and I can't really say much more about it. It's got so many classic tracks on it, and every aspect of it, when it comes to someone like me, where I am a singer, um, quote-unquote singer, and guitar player, the, both of those things on this album are close to as good as it gets for me, for my style, for what I like to do. Like this is, um, this is just like like an album that this is a desert island album. It's a it's yeah. one that this has to be with me, and so that's why it is at my number one with a fucking bullet for Allison Chains. Yeah, I would I would say, as I said before, for me, Dirt and Facelift are are on a are on an equal first place, but it's just the there's a certain vibe to facelift that I, I don't know what it is. I just enjoy it. I I like the way it's it sounds. It sounds big and it sounds kind of vibey too. And it's it's got a lot of elements that you know would appear on dirt. You know there is the core Alice in Chains sound there. Yeah, but it's just and you and you wouldn't have dirt without facelift. I mean you got to yeah. keep that in mind that that you know that it was the there's there's a a very enjoyable. Um, energy to facelift that isn't there on dirt because it's 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 different vibes yeah and um i yeah i don't i think i like dirt so much because of facelift i don't i yeah. don't i think that it's it makes this album stand out even more for me so it's almost like it, it my love of dirt is because of facelift so it's right there propping it up you know yeah and like the the thing is when when you contextualize excluding the eps the three LPs that Alison Chains did with Lane, it's a very clear downward spiral of a man's <laughs> sanity. Yeah, but, I can see that. But it's, you know, and and, you know, obviously with drug addiction and things like that, it, it fucks you up. But, on facelift, it it still it still feels quite pure in, in a way. There's like I said, there's a slight innocence to facelift. It's still got a little bit of that eighties fun vibe to it. Then you get to dirt, where it's a very real raw kind of thing, and then you get to fucking tripod, which is dark. But you know, it's all fantastic music at the end of the day, regardless of the vibe. Yeah, they really hit it out of the park 
with each one. Yeah, I would I would agree. So this is I mean, um, with all of like we said before, they didn't they haven't made a bad album. But as I said in the last episode, I do draw a very thick line yeah. between the Lane era and the William Duvall era because um as time has gone on, an album like Dirt has only gotten stronger with me and an album like Black Gives Way to Blue and the other two with William Duvall, as much as I like them, they're not aging as well. Yeah. They're they're not sticking with me the same way. And that's, you know, and you can't really fault them for for wanting to continue and do new stuff. Because oh, for sure. I, that's, I feel like that would be me. If I was Jerry Cantrell, I don't think I would be happy just doing solo shit or starting a new band because you create something as important as Alice in Chains and the legacy that, 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 that you already had. Um, yeah. I just, I feel like I, I would probably do the same thing. If you found a singer that you felt was, you know, anywhere near Lane Staley, then you just fucking move forward and do shit. And I'm glad they're doing it. I, I, I just have to be a realist when it comes to us doing these rankings. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, you know, some, some parts of our, our rankings could change in a couple hours, you know, let alone, <laughs> let alone, yeah. you know, the, the next time I sit down and listen to Alice in Chains. Cause really I was thinking before we did this episode, I was thinking, fuck, like, how am I, how am I in all good conscience going to put facelift over dirt? Like, that's what I was telling myself. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I was telling myself, dude, you, you are putting, you are putting dirt in the wrong fucking place. And it's not me trying to say people have told me dirt is amazing. It's the fact that I know dirt is amazing. I just can't believe that, they have such strong material that I can't pick both of them. <laughs> and yeah. It's, well, I mean, luckily in, yeah. this, in this episode, I helped you out. So we d- it did get number one status, which is great. We, so we were, you know, it's almost, it's almost like it's more meaningful when we have different number ones because we get to give love to different albums. Yeah. I, f- I feel so, like, I feel like the best, I feel like the, the the biggest draw of this podcast is is the differences. You know, it's a, it's a nice surprise when we do match up, but uh, yeah, I I do think it, it it's what makes it's what makes it interesting is is comparisons. Absolutely, and 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 so I, and I hope it was interesting to you folks out there because we are now totally done with Alice and Chains, um, and um, I think. Next time we might be coming back with another year podcast. Well, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give any hints out, but um, we may do another top five of, partic- of a particular year, um, and then get back on to doing some more band discographies. But yeah, um, this one, this one, it's always good to do a band like this where you know that you're just talking about albums that, especially in my opinion, albums that you know well and you love, and so you're not going to be very, you're not going to have anybody getting pissed off at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't ever see uh, Alice in Chains fans. I don't think get that been out of shape. I don't think anyone ever comments. I can't believe you put that album there. I, I, I feel like that doesn't really exist. Those are, those are all metal fans that do that. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so that, that's, that's it for, uh, for the Alice in Chains ranking. You got anything to say before we sign off? 
Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I suppose the the only thing I I I could say is that I I am in the process of editing a massive video. It could be quite some time. You could be talking about a Christmas present, but it is big. Maybe, oh, oh, oh maybe, alongside not not the Sabbath one, another one. Oh no, it it, it is the Sabbath one. The Sabbath one is oh. just fucking huge. It, it's proven to be. I might have I might have bit off more than I can chew with this one. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> but um, hey, you know that's that's it's good. You're pushing yourself. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I've got about five minutes of it, about fully edited. Uh, yeah, can't wait to do the other. 108 (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah that that's a good point good time to point out if you're not subscribed to eddie sparks on youtube you should be um you should go do it um (laughs) and then if you're not subscribed to me old head on uh youtube go do that too because we we put out some good content aside from this wonderful podcast and um so once again thank you all for listening if you're um, one of the few people that make it all the way to the end. You know, I always like to thank um, just you people. I Fuck all of those other ones. Anyone that turned it off prior to this, they're not special. You are special. <laughs> um, so don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And um, once again, uh, we appreciate um, the time that you guys give us. And we'll be back um, next week with another uh, year. It'll be a surprise. Um, But yeah, that's all I have uh, for this episode of Cranked and Ranked. Eddie, why don't you take us out? Later, dude.